music has like history and our DNA and it's the fight, the love, all that lets you to lets you reconnect with that and express that. And we never lost that and it goes back generations. Hello, and welcome to Between the Jigs, an occasional podcast that comes to you from Rejigged Festival in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, Canada. Rejigged Festival is an annual three-day celebration of new directions in Celtic music and dance, featuring concerts and workshops. I'm Elizabeth MacDonald. I'm Christine Donnelly-Moan. And I'm Caroline Murphy. And today we're going to talk about Cormac Begley, the Irish concertina, and the concept of cultural DNA. Plus, you'll get to hear a few tunes played by Cormac himself when we recorded them in an interview with Colin Kerrigan during the 2019 Rejigged Festival. So Caroline just mentioned that we had Cormac Begley over for the 2019 Rejigged Festival. It was it was so exciting because like that, when we program the Rejigged Festival, it's always great to bring in an artist that our audience have never heard of or that they don't know much about. So for us to have Cormac on the Friday night and to have him just like blow the audience away, it was amazing. And he got a standing ovation and just the power in his music was incredible. And you could hear that in the interview the next day because the audience that came to see him was really already so invested. Mm -hmm. They really were excited to be there. And you could hear it in their responses and the laughter. And they had a great time. The room was very reactive. I do have to apologize for some of the recording because the room picked up every noise. We weren't in a sound booth, so it was a little noisy, but Mark Bashinsky, our sound engineer, cleaned up most of that. You will hear a lot of peripheral noise. Including bagpipes. Including bagpipes. Because uh, on Sunday afternoon, we were holding a a Four Pipes concert, and the pipers had already arrived, and we're tuning up. So, uh, Cormac Begley, he's an Irish musician from County Kerry on the west coast of Ireland. Elizabeth, you met him first. Uh, I did. I, I know about the uh, the Bagley family. They're renowned, of course. I'm a dancer, a, a traditional Irish dancer. I, I specialize in shanos, the old style of percussive dance that's you know, deeply percussive into the floor and, and improvised. And I was attending uh, something last year called Leitrim Dance Week in Carrick-on-Shannon, and Cormac was our accompanist for the week. I hadn't come across him. I hadn't uh, listened to his music uh, to any great extent. And by the time we hit the first break on the first day, I'd pulled aside Liam Scanlon, one of the organizers who had also been at Rejigged a few years earlier, and said, asked him two questions. How is Cormac as a workshop leader, and do you think he'd come to Rejigged? And the answer was, he's great, and yes, he would. We're so pleased to have him. He brought seven concertinas, three of which you'll hear when we finally start the interview. So for our listeners who don't exactly know what a concertina is, it's a cousin to an accordion in that it has bellows and buttons. Each button is a different note on the draw and the pull of the bellows. The thing that's so cool about Cormac Begley's playing is not just that he's playing this little button concertina with a lot of different notes. It's that he takes this one instrument that has... 30 buttons and a different note on the push and the pull of the bellows and he layers it so he'll play the melody and then he'll lay down a drone note and then he'll layer in ornamentation and all the while his foot is 
stomping in a percussive manner so that by the time he really gets into it, it sounds like there are four people on stage with him. And it's fascinating to watch Cormac play, especially the bass concertina. At the end of a piece, on, particularly on that, on that concertina, he's winded. He's tired. He's put so much into it. Yeah, he's got the upper body strength to push and pull, especially that large bass instrument. It's huge, and it does take some physicality to move it. He's stomping his foot progressively, and he's also choreographing with his fingers a very delicate dance to get every single note deliberately in the right place. So the good thing about this interview is we got him to play three tunes. The first is Master Crowley's Reel. The second is the Frenzy Polka, which was uh, written by his dad, Brendan Begley. And the third piece he plays is Patty Sean's Reel. Well, without further ado, maybe we should get right down into it. We've edited out most of the questions and uh, just let Cormac tell his story. This is the first bass I got. Um, I got this in Japan from a Japanese lady. I go to Tokyo, or I go to Japan every year for maybe a month. I didn't go last year, but maybe for four years in a row, every November, I go to do concerts and uh, workshops. And I went into an Irish bar in Tokyo. There's like 20, 20 Japanese musicians sitting around playing the best of traditional music, really high quality. And um, I saw this lady, older lady in her 60s, holding this big instrument, which is pretty small Japanese lady holding this big instrument. And I had, I had the baritone at the time, I was always interested in the lower pitched instruments like cellos and basses and stuff like that. So, um, so I tried this and I fell in love with it and I asked her if she'd sell it to me. And she said she she said she wouldn't, but she'd give me first refusal, uh, which means she's going to sell it. She sell it to me. And next year, I went back to the Japanese lady. I said, "Look, come back to Japan." And I emailed the lady. Said, "Any chance you'd sell the instrument?" And she goes, "No, um, um, I've sold it to somebody else." Oh, oh dear. Oh. So I wasn't very happy with that. I was a bit disappointed, but. I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose. So I was just trying to think, what, how the hell would I get there? What would I say now? So I thought, I, I used, I used the Japanese honor card. <laughs> so I said I was disappointed that I thought, if you're gonna sell it, you sell it to me, first refusal and all that. And I said that I didn't think it was very honorable. I kind of felt like I had nothing to lose. And this is why I love Jap Japanese people. She spoke to the person she sold it to, and they both agreed that it wasn't honourable. Oh, yeah. And decided to sell it to me. Wow. Oh. If I said that to you in an email, I could tell <laughs> you tell me where to go. And I know what I'd say to somebody if they said that to me. So, but it, it's a mark of the, the people. I love Japan, Japan and so many things about Japan, but that, that's how I got my hands on this. So.
in West Kerry, uh, there's a Gaelic there, an Irish-speaking area, which are from Irish, my first language. Um, we feel like we've never been conquered. And there's this kind of like, there's a wildness as well from the Atlantic. We get the, the brunt of the, the forces, the seas, as you do here. Uh, the winds, uh, the rain, the misery, <laughs> the winter. Um, but that's, that's channeled, I think, through, through the blood, like, through the music. This is a tune that my father wrote in 1916. Um, Irish independent, sorry, he wrote in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he was working on a project um, it's like the 100 year um, anniversary of the of Irish independence. And this tune is meant to describe the soldiers in the GPO in, in Dublin and is under fire from uh, British Navy ships. They were firing uh, at the GPO, the General Post Office in Dublin City. And the frenzy is meant to capture the, the kind of the frenzy or the, the panic or the, the atmosphere inside the GPO at the time. So, Arts Festival working with a guy called Michael Keegan Dolan, a uh, choreographer, um, dance theatre man, and he brought over uh, 12 dancers, 20, 12 dancers, and he's joined by eight dancers from New Zealand, some of them of Maori descent, um, and we worked for two weeks in a, in a hall there, and as part of that, I had 
very unusual experience of playing in the centre of a circle surrounded by by uh, 20 uh, Maori, Samoan, uh, New Zealanders uh, doing a hacker at me. I don't know, I was just so impressed by the whole thing. Looking around and I didn't know where to look. Every place I looked was just like these de demons like. <laughs> and uh, so they, they did their hacker and then I played a tune. I played, I played O'Neill's March, of fighting to fight back and it felt, felt very tribal, it was like, if you're going to give me that, I'm going to give you what I can. <laughs> um, but then I, it was just, it was just really, like, just one of those moments I felt most alive. I, I remember, I remember a lot of it, I remember, like, um, and I, I, I left there kind of feeling that we'd, we'd lost a lot of that kind of fight in Irish culture, kind of a communal um, gathering where you can be just be full spirited and let all that out. And it's not just aggressive, it's not aggression, like it's full, like it's full spirited. And being able to be a complete lunatic and be uh, respected for it, revered for it. But like, it's something they do at funerals, uh, weddings, all these different rituals. Um, and it's often boxes this kind of aggressive, kind of trying to intimidate. In that in that setting, there was there was a lot of there's mutual respect, but there's also like a message of you're on our land, don't fuck with us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was there seven years ago, and there's a big shift in 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 the culture there. I think and appreciation of the language and. When the Maoris get together for ritual, that they speak firstly in Maori. So you're sitting there, and the equivalent would be me sitting here, uh, a kind of spell in the fake, then almost, and they're not taking any gushir katamara, talking lord as a lord, as kashavesha. So you'd experience this for 10 minutes, and then they translate to English. So we have a tendency in, Irish, in Ireland to, if there's one person that doesn't speak Irish out of manners maybe or consideration people we default to English even if there was like six or seven people who were fluent Irish speakers um, but they don't they don't do that and um, then they don't do it like it's an unapologetic thing I like about it um, and I left feeling that in some ways we've been kind of like broadly we've been kind of physically conquered by by the by the English, um, but I felt I felt more strongly about the music that uh, the music has like history and our DNA and it has all these um, cultural DNA. It has all our um, all experiences in it, and it gives us. It's going to be key to let all that um, all those those feelings or all those. Um, I guess the fight, the love, all that lets you to lets you reconnect with that and express that. And we never lost that, and it goes back generations. So we can reconnect to the person who who, who composed the tune, get into that mind, or get into that feeling of the time. And it's for me, it just shows that we haven't changed that much in hundreds of thousands, thousands, thousand years. That we all have the same emotional landscape. If you can connect to a tune now that was written a thousand years ago, like. Says to me that we haven't changed that much. We might have technologically, we might have um, developed or 
evolved or pro- progressed, but emotionally we're still the same animal. Like uh, I think you have to feel it, and you have to you have to bring yourself into it. Like like anybody who's like tunes don't grow on trees. Like they they come from people's experience, and somebody was um, motivated or compelled to. And sometimes maybe it just came, it was like maybe something that just came to them and they felt they had to share that. And I'm sure lots of things come to different people every day, but these tunes, have, many of them have been distilled and have lasted many generations and have had impact on people throughout, throughout the lineage. So they've, they've, lasted the, they've lasted the test of time. And, uh, some tunes composed now that be beautiful pieces, but we don't know how long they're going to last. I, I recommend for musicians to study older musicians, uh, not because uh, just to be beholden to the tradition, but it's it's more to know what has been done before. Because if I went and, try, and I had a bright idea to try and paint them something that looks very similar to the Mona Lisa, and I should show that in front of people and said, "Oh, I'm I great? I did this thing." People be like, that's kind of been done before and 20 times better. But I could say, oh, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm innovation, this is innovation. Like, you need, like, innovation needs to be rooted in knowledge of what's been done before, to my eyes anyway. Um, and you have to bring, you have to be uh, brave enough, I think, to put your own uh, experiences into the mix and to um, kind of play without skin, that you, you're kind of transparent. So there's an honesty with that, and um, that's what I strive for. And they're the musicians I like to hear, because you know when people are being honest, you know when people are being straight up. You know from your friends if they're upset in a millisecond when on the phone, you know if, if they're being, um, if they're sad, if they're happy, you know, you know that's, that's what's real. Um, and uh, music is non-verbal and it, it, it reaches deeper levels than words can describe. And, um, and the thing about tradition and innovation, I come from a musical family. My, my father's side of the family, they're all singers and dancers. My mother's side um, danced grandparents, great accordion player, Tommy O'Connor, um, my mother's brother. Um, in, the, in Ireland, we're seen as this traditional family and um, play traditional music, but my parents grew up singing cowboy songs. They grew up listening to everything on radio and playing traditional music. So like, they can be defined or boxed as this kind of militant traditional family, but they're far from it. Like, mm-hmm. So I didn't, we didn't grow up in that. Like, if something is honest and good, it doesn't matter what what genre it is. But if I feel in traditional music, if you're if you're if you're flying the flag of innovation, you need to. No spirit and, and know to go back and know what's been done before. So, to show what you're actually doing, maybe innovative, or maybe it's just a different manifestation of something that's been done before. That's very musical, or has like people. Some people said to me that I'm, I'm doing innovative things in the concert team. I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm applying certain rhythms. Uh, that are integral to the music going back generations and maybe um, highlighting some things in, in different sounds, but it's it's in the music. 
it's, it's not something that I've created. Like it's that's that's not me. Like or my country. Like that's something that's in the music. But um, actually, there's something I want to mention as well. Is that down in Dingle? I run I run an art school there. I run week long courses in different different uh, instruments or different art forms. So I've had concertina weeks. I've had fiddle weeks, dancing weeks. I've had knitting weeks, videography yoga and the idea is to get um, experts in specific fields to come to West Kerry to teach group lessons and individual lessons. I provide accommodation food and uh, we do concerts and walks and in West Kerry. So that's called art. Uh, in Irish it's A-I-R-T dot I-E and art it's pronounced art, but it's spelled A-I-R-T, and that's an Irish word for uh, the, a point on a compass, a direction, or a guide. last day well last while like you'd wake up in the morning and you'd hear my dad playing and there's always music in the house 
and then you associate how he's playing with his mood. <laughs> so after years and years of that, like I can tell what form or how how clear he's thinking or how precise or how what he what he's feeling. Like at one time I walked into I think I was 16 years old and I was drunk. Shouldn't have been out. Came back from the nightclub at three o'clock in the morning, and I opened the front door, and I knew within a millisecond that my father was crying because I could hear him play. Uh, I could hear him play a tune, and the way, and not that he was just playing a tune, but uh, just the way he was playing it. So I walked down the corridor, looked in the door, hold the door, and he, sure enough, he tears and very emotional player, like like. Um, so I would have grown up in that, like, and in terms of learning uh, to play, like, there's pictures of me playing tin whistle when I was younger or holding the accordion, and it makes makes it look like I was playing my whole life. Um, but uh, ironically enough, the first time I opened up a concertina, uh, I opened it up uh, with a with a butter knife when I was 16 years old. Um, because my father wanted me to go and join him for a session uh, in Dunquin and I had no more notion to go. When I was in school, I got suspended seven or eight times, I'd say, for being just like a joker, doing things out of the way. And I was a bit uh, disobedient. And my father tried to force me to join him to go to the session. I got a knife. Figured out that if you unscrew these six screws here and take it apart, take out the reed pan and get these uh, reeds and bend them up like that in the knife that it would break the instrument and it would mean that you wouldn't have to go to the session. <laughs> so, um, he rang Michal O'Reilly after Michal O'Reilly, Constantine player, and Michal O'Reilly said, said, what happened to that Constantine should not have happened to the Constantine. He goes, that this, the, um, he said something malicious happened there, which it was. <laughs> my father got the message. Um, he didn't really go to things anymore. Um, so I kind of took it, I started playing then later. My brother's great guitar player, my older brother, and uh, influenced by him. Um, and then I started playing. I went to college, I had probably five to ten tunes in college. Really bad. Well, not bad, but I just wasn't into playing. And the, I felt the expectation to play because so all my family would have played. I've gone into those sessions where um, you play and people ask you to play a solo and you crumble and then you feel like breaking the instrument or, or giving up or not playing anymore. So I've gone through that whole journey that everybody goes through. Um, but I was late starting. I, I took it up. I, was, I remember hearing a track of Mary McNamara and um, Mark and Hayes play together. And that was a huge turning point for me because I could see I could I could see what I could kind of see behind the notes what was going on and that 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 um, that, that that inspired me like um, and I sat down with my dad for, for ages and learned a lot my dad was so patient to be playing he'd play the tune really slowly and play along with him um, and as a result I learned it from by ear now but um, so as a least late uh, starter, I guess, but I think you can learn how to type at any age. As Mavis Beacon, you can learn how to type. 
Um, and a lot of it is to do with being able to play. Um, a lot of it is to do with, I think, um, being encouraged, I guess, to, to find your own way of playing, uh, your own style, being told by somebody uh, when you are playing your own way and when you're not and getting that guidance and more so being told. Um, uh, yeah, they've been encouraged that way. But I always grew up, like I grew up, house parties at home, stamping on the floor trying to get my parents to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> being brought around to these festivals, being fed crisps and coke and orange um, juice. Uh, yeah, like, um, like, so I would have gone to all these festivals and always music around, but I never, I had no, no more interest, no interest in actually playing it. Like, I remember being in a pub one time, my father playing it, and just this kind of, I can only describe it as this kind of electric current going through me. And I remember everything so clearly. That didn't inspire me to play music, but I, I felt that there was some kind of a power in that. A few of those experiences like that. I think um, here in Mary McNamara, and her, her approach really, really was a big influence. Um, my brother playing, it's a big, big influence. My cousin starting playing, um, going, working in West Kerry, tourist industry working, fishing for lobster, salmon for summers, working in a fish factory, working in a bar, restaurant, making beds and B&Bs, gardening, all these different jobs. And then working for hours and hours and then having the opportunity to sit down in the pub, practice and get a few quid for it. Made a difference to me, it's a cycle. Like, and the social side of it then, you'd be out uh, with your cousins, having a laugh, chatting up girls, Playing, playing music, learning, um, and getting getting a few bob for it. Like, <laughs> that did make a difference. And, and then going to college then, like in college, meeting people that had similar upbringing, or people that had no connection to music in their family, but are really interested in it. And meeting all these friends is like, Jesus, like, uh, like you can go anywhere now in the world to play and meet people and have a shared language. Like even Japan, I don't speak Japanese, but I could sit down for two or three hours with people and share something with them like, um, um, and learn. And you can have a home anywhere, like anywhere you go because of it. So those realizations, they were important. But I, I, never, I, was never, I never wanted to play. But like musically, you can sit down with an eight-year-old or an eight-year-old at a session and learn from them. Um, it's one of the few um, parts of Irish culture where you can sit down with all age groups and respect, where respect is given for the, to the, to the old, old, older players. And you keep developing and fine-tuning and getting better, I'd hope, with age. Um, and I think that's an important message for, for kids. It's, it would have been hard to say that to me or communicate that to me at 15, 16. Mm. Like, you could say that to me every day and I'd, I wouldn't be listening to you. I'm sure my dad said that to me loads of times. 
So I don't know how we get that message across. Um, but um, yeah, but they were they were they were important things. Some of those those things you can't. I feel like experience like you experience them yourself. It's not something that you can you can maybe provide the context or the situation for someone to experience that maybe. But some of the stuff like remembering like the time when my father played in the pub, that you can't I don't know how much of that is just a natural thing or whether it's uh, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. But giving them cokes and giving them pints of Guinness <laughs> Bring from pub and give a few pop, a few bob for it. That could have been encouraged. <laughs> so, if you like this episode, please give it a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And tell your friends about us, because word of mouth is how we reach a lot of people. But if you didn't like it, remember, nobody likes a complainer. A lot of people helped us put this podcast episode together, so we'd like to uh, thank Colin Kerrigan for interviewing Cormac Begley. We hope you're enjoying your new hurdy-gurdy, Colin. Mark Bashinsky is our sound engineer. Thanks very much. And thanks to Cormac Begley for agreeing to be our very first interviewee on Between the Jigs. You can find out more about Cormac and his recordings and performances on his website at www.cormacbegley.com. You can also learn more about his art project at www.airt.ie. Our theme music is a track called Echo from the amazing Talisk, who are based in Scotland. And if you want to find more about them, you can check out their website at talisk.co.uk, T-A-L-I-S-K C-O.uk. To the Immigrant Support Programme of the Department of Foreign Affairs of the Government of Ireland, Gramila Magath for all your support. So thanks for listening. I'm Christine Donnelly-Moan. I'm Elizabeth McDonald. And I'm Caroline Murphy. See you next time. Oh, 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 oh,